So let's pray as we, as we begin. Father, we thank you for every opportunity just to have fellowship with your people and with one another, even in the middle of a week, Lord. Um, so remind us of you and your presence, <clears throat> Lord, as we study the uh, <clears throat> trial of your son. Uh, help us uh, understand it. Help us uh, deepen in our convictions of the truth of it. <clears throat> Help us realize uh, he's going through this to redeem us and make our redemption possible. So we thank you for all those things, Lord. Equip us to defend your truth, your word, and the glories of your Son. Teach us to be able to do this with both... Uh, faithfulness and, and grace, and not compromise. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to operate in our lives and in our ministries. So we plead that you would bless us <clears throat> with a greater measure of your Spirit in our minds and hearts, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pick up three new pages there, and uh, we're going to be on page 213 tonight. Your thoughts and questions are very welcome. We're going through Jesus' uh, trials, and last week we were before the high priest Caiaphas, and we looked at Luke's account, and I left a few things out that I want to go back over regarding Luke's account from a last week. And so I'm going to go back there, Luke 22:63. And what I didn't mention is it's not clear how we can reconcile Luke's seeming chronology with the events of Jesus's trial that are in Matthew and Mark. That's one of the one of our New Testament difficulties there. And I've got Luke uh, 22 up here on the screen right now. <clears throat> and um, Luke's, Luke's account is fairly brief before Caiaphas. And Luke has the mocking of Jesus in front of uh, Jesus' interaction with them. We haven't considered this mocking of Jesus yet. We will consider that here tonight as it's presented in the order of Matthew and Mark. And here we see Luke, as soon as it was daybreak, this portion right here is where we have some of our chronological difficulties. As soon as it was daybreak, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council meeting if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe, and so forth. And then in verse 60, Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his mouth. And if you were here last week, you would have seen how that's in Matthew and Mark. And so it looks like Luke is covering 
what Matthew and Mark covered, except that was before daybreak. And when we go to Matthew and Mark, we have we see two meetings. We see one meeting that happens um, early morning before sunrise, and then we see a follow-up meeting with the council at sunrise. Luke doesn't break it up that way. And uh, if you just read Luke, you would get the idea that everything I just read to you here happened at that morning meeting. But it really didn't. This testimony down here, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it for ourselves. And Matthew and Mark, that's all happening before daybreak. Now, perhaps we should conclude that Luke simply does not intend to give us a detailed chronology. And Luke arranges his material for some other purpose. Now, Luke's chronology at a higher level, of course, agrees. The Thursday night, the Friday morning, Friday crucifixion, Sunday resurrection. At the higher level, Luke's chronology agrees but regarding the trial, it's very difficult uh, to make, make that work with Matthew and Mark if we think Luke is going in chronological order, which I don't believe he is. And uh, <clears throat> so that Jesus was before the council twice before sunrise and that there was a council meeting of some sort at sunrise is clear from Mark. And I want to show you that. Mark 14, 55. Okay, this is early morning before sunrise. Now the chief priests and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Many bore false witnesses, and then finally two witnesses arose. You remember, we've been through that. So that's happening in, in, in the evening. Verse 64, finally the high priest Caiaphas gets Jesus to blaspheme. Uh, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him, deserving of death. And then, and then Mark 15, 1, immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation. So you see those other things, I believe Mark is chronologically in order. So those other things I've just read happened before sunrise Friday. Okay. And I think that is the correct chronological order. Now Luke... Uh, simply conflates those. He just puts those those together. So it's possible that Luke combined information from both meetings and conflated them into one account intentionally. I, I personally, I think that's what Luke did. Luke simply pulled material from the the meeting before sunrise and the meeting at the beginning of sunrise, Luke pulled material from both of those and just put it in an abbreviated account. I I think that's the best explanation of 
of what we have in Luke. And I, I wanted to go over that with you because I failed to do that last week. Um, so, these problems aside, Luke makes a number of unique contributions to the account of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And one of them I didn't mention last week, which I want to mention now, it's interesting how he how he represents it. He doesn't even mention Caiaphas in Luke's account. He doesn't even mention Caiaphas. When you read Matthew and Mark, the focus is on everything that Caiaphas does when he interacts with Jesus. And everybody else seems kind of passive and they agree at the end. But in Luke's account, uh, he doesn't even mention the witnesses or the false witnesses. And what he mentions here was, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led them into their council meeting. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, and you will by no means believe. We looked at, looked at this last week. Then they all said, this is interesting, then they all said, are you the son of God? Luke, rep, when you read the other account, it's Caiaphas that's asking the question. But here, Luke says they all ask that question. That's a different emphasis in Luke. So then they all said, are you the son of God? So he said to them, plural, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? In the other account, it's Caiaphas said, what further testimony do we need? Uh, so Luke seems to want to implicate all of them in this uh, response. And that's, that really stands out different from the accounts in Matthew and Mark. Um, as well as uh, this, uh, this interaction from Jesus, which we considered in some detail last week, where Jesus says, says if I tell you, you will by no means believe, and if I question you, you will by no means answer. Uh, that's unique to Luke as well. So um, I just wanted to just wanted to go through those. Any thoughts or questions about that? It'll be a little simpler, more here in order in a moment. Okay, so flip on over to two fourteen, page two fourteen, and we're gonna pick this up in Matthew uh, twenty six. 66. And I'll slow down a little bit. So we're back before sunrise. Let's get lined up. We're back before sunrise. And we're at the end of the meeting with the Sanhedrin that was led by Caiaphas, the high priest. And it's him who is speaking in Matthew's account in verse 66. What do you think? Let's back up to 65, give a little more uh, context. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, 
Now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. So this is before sunrise. We're at the conclusion of the first appearance before the Sanhedrin. And it's at that point that they begin to physically abuse and mock Jesus. So in verse 67, then they spat, then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Okay, and then, then Matthew switches to Peter's denials, which we have covered. So we're beginning tonight to look, first we'll look at this abuse that they began to, to hurl upon the Lord. Uh, so it's like, now that the council has condemned Jesus to death, some think that it gives them license to begin to abuse him and mistreat him. And so... Uh, they are mocking Jesus' claim to be the Christ. And you see, they say that, prophesy to us Christ, which shows us that's how they understood Jesus' testimony. Jesus did say that he was the Christ. The high priest understood that Jesus claimed to be the Christ. And now they're mocking that claim, okay? And the only reason I'm emphasizing that is, you know, there are some who actually try to teach that Jesus never actually claimed to be the Messiah. Okay? But no, Jesus very clearly claimed to be the Messiah. These that are abusing him understood that he claimed to be the Messiah. And so they're mocking that claim. Um, so... <clears throat> So uh, they, they, spitting in one's face is to show the deepest of contempts. Others began to beat him. That would presumably be with their fist. The text, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. That would be slapping him. And uh, they mocked him saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now, from Mark and Luke, we gather a little bit more of what they're doing here is because they blindfolded Jesus. And from Luke, it appears, they first blindfolded him and then they began to beat him. And uh, let me show you that text from, from Luke. Okay. <clears throat> and the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And here and having blind and having blindfolded him, okay, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy to us. Okay, so it's like they blindfolded him first, and then they began to strike him on the face and ask him, you know, who, who struck you? Likely what's going on here is, um, according to Jewish tradition, 
Messiah would be able to judge by smell without sight. Okay, it sounds strange to us, but there's a Jewish tradition that the Messiah wouldn't even have to see people and he could judge them. And so they are mocking that, you see. They are blindfolding him so he can't see. And then they are saying, you know, prophesy to us as to who it is that struck you. So it's another mockery of his claim uh, to be to be the Messiah. Uh, <clears throat> so, Jesus does not answer again, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, which to them confirms that he's worthy of such treatment for his blasphemous claim. But we can see from Luke's statement also and many other things. Look at what Luke said here. And many other things they, blasphemy, they blasphemously spoke against him. So we just have a very condensed account. And so we learned that from Luke. They, they, they spoke many more things blasphemously against him than, than simply what, what is here in, in this account. Um, and so this is going on for some time. We don't know how long uh, this went on, but this is before daybreak. And this is before the second meeting that's going to happen Friday at sunrise uh, is, is where we're at here. Can we determine more precisely who are the abusers? Well, from Matthew, we might conclude that the abusers are actually the council members. Uh, when we read Matthew, we might come to that conclusion. What do you think? They, that's the, that's the members of the Sanhedrin, what do you think? They, they answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they, see that? Then they spat on his face. Uh, I, I, we could go back up here to 65. The high, he has spoken blasphemy. What further do, do we need to have witnesses? Look now, you, you council members, have heard the blasphemy. So they answered, he's deserving of death. They spat on his face and beat him, okay, and so forth. So here you might think it's actually the council members that engaged in this, in this physical violence. But again, Luke has a little more precision in this case. Um, and he tells us this. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And the idea there is the men who held him in custody. Some of our other translations do that. You see, I'm reading New King James there. Uh, the ESV reads, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. So it's Maybe some of the council members actually participated in the physical violence, 
Certainly they did, they did nothing to restrain it, but uh, Jesus is being held. He's under the uh, custody of, of likely the temple police and likely the servants of the high priest are the ones that are involved in this. We're not sure if Roman soldiers remain present during this trial with the high priest. So it's, I think it's unlikely that the Roman soldiers are the ones here that are beating him and mocking him at this point. They are going to, they are going to do that later after Pilate, uh, Pilate uh, condemns Jesus. But at this point, uh, this is all happening among the religious leaders there in Jerusalem as, as they mock him and beat him in these ways. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> there was some time between the council's blasphemy verdict and Jesus being brought before Pilate when the abuse and this mockery occurred. This is likely before the early morning meeting. Uh, so, uh, let's now go back to the next meeting with the Sanhedrin, which is early morning Friday. And let me get this. Matthew chapter 27. And Matthew and Mark track quite closely here. So we're at Friday morning now. We've been before Annas. We've been before Caiaphas. And now we're going to end up before Pilate. But before we end up before Pilate, Matthew is going to switch the camera to Judas. Before, we, before he gives us the account before Pilate. When morning came, uh, well, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. So here's this other meeting of the Sanhedrin. It's in the morning now. And... <clears throat> Friday morning, Mark uses the term, they held a consultation. And uh, that's in, in Mark 15, verse 1. Uh, immediately in the morning, the chief priest held, held a consultation. That, that word's important. That's a clue as to what this meeting is about. This is not the completion of the trial. The trial is completed, and they already issued the verdict. The purpose of this meeting, it, they're having a consultation, and you notice that Matthew said they were plotting. Matthew uses the word that people, they plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And likely what's going on here is they are now planning their strategy that they're going to use when they take Jesus before Pilate to get a conviction out of Pilate. So they're strategizing at that this point 
as they're ready to bring him to Pilate. Okay, and so both Matthew and Mark say that. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So, now, Mark's statement, let's just stop and look at that for a second. It's, uh, it's quite significant. Uh, he doesn't leave anybody out. Uh, immediately, good evening, welcome. Thank you. So, Mark's statement doesn't leave anybody out. It, he, the list he has, in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation. So we got the chief priest with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. Right? All the religious leaders or uh, those of repute are all involved. And, and I don't think that's an accident in, in Mark's part. I think he wants to show that they were all culpable for the rejection of, of the Messiah, and, he, and he's brought them together. They're all listed there. And they bound Jesus and led him and delivered him to Pilate. So, um, <clears throat> so Matthew switches the camera back, doesn't he, to Judas in Matthew 27, verse 3. So, so they're bringing Jesus to Pilate, and then Matthew switches back to what's happening with Judas. Then Judas, his betrayer seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was pierced, whom they of the children of Israel pierced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So probably the rest of our time tonight may be spent on this passage and relating to the end of Judas. We'll see how far we get. Um, there's a few challenges in here which we'll, we'll see in a bit. So Get the scene. Judas has been hanging around. Okay? The last time we saw Judas, um, 
uh, he has been hanging around. And if Matthew has put these things in chronological order, which it appears likely that he really has, when Jesus is led away to be tried by Pilate, Judas begins to regret what he has done. Now, he's been hanging around and observing what's been taking place. Now, he, can't be, he cannot be surprised at the outcome of the Sanhedrin trial because he's known for a long time that the Jews have desired to kill him. So he can't be surprised at the outcome. Uh, and he delivered them over to him. Now, uh, let me see. Back up here in my notes. The last time we saw Judas was eight or nine hours earlier in the garden at the time of the arrest. That was eight or nine hours earlier. That was late Thursday night. We are now early Friday morning on the chronology here. So, so Judas has hung around and he probably uh, observed the outcome of the Sanhedrin trial and all of this and he observed this early morning meeting when they plotted against Jesus and he knew they were ready to haul him off to Pilate. And he's observed all of this. And at that point, when they have him bound and they're taking him off to Pilate, is when Judas heads back toward the temple or wherever this morning consultation was took place, we don't actually know, but he heads toward the temple and uh, tells the high priest uh, that he has betrayed uh, innocent, innocent blood. Now, he still has the 30 pieces of silver that the priest gave to him. And he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood the first proclamation of Jesus' innocence comes from his betrayer. We're going to see Jesus proclaimed as innocent multiple times through this process. And the first time Jesus' innocence is proclaimed is actually by Judas himself. Okay? I don't know, but I, I think that's significant. Uh, the one who betrayed him becomes the first one to proclaim his innocence. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, Judas knew that to be the case. Now, the response of the chief priest is highly calloused. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it, or you, you take care of it, or you handle it. It's not their problem if Judas has betrayed innocent blood. It's Judas's problem. Now, didn't they pay Judas? Didn't they pay Judas? Wouldn't that make wouldn't that make them also culpable or complicit? I can talk loud. No, no, because there are more people that have this class. 
from the video than are here. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> I was just wondering, does anybody know why Judas betrayed oh, him? Was ah, it for the money? Hold, hold that what? question. Oh. Just hold it a little bit. Okay. We'll, we'll, uh, there's a, uh, I'll answer that question when we bring up another passage. No, that's a ve- that's a very good question, and uh, we'll 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 get well, it answered here. In a I kind of wonder the same thing about Peter. Why did Peter deny Christ? Is he there... was afraid. Oh, okay. They, they were they were all at, they were all very afraid. If not only were not only were they going to kill Jesus, but they were going to kill his followers. Oh. Okay, because I don't really see where they um, where that looked like it happened. So I just I I figured he was afraid, but yeah. I didn't I didn't know if it ever said that or not. Okay. Well, one thing um, Anita we do see is prior to the resurrection. One of the other clues is is between Jesus's death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday morning. Um, they are still in Jerusalem, and the te- when we get there, the text says they're in that room, and they are keeping the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Okay, so um, that is not that was not an unreasonable fear if Jesus were actually an insurrectionist. See, had Pilate determined that Jesus was actually trying to lead a rebellion against Roman authority, he would have executed Jesus and all of his followers. Okay? And, and so we will see in the account is that Pilate comes to the conclusion that Jesus is not a threat. But the disciples don't know all that, of course, so um, yeah, they they were fearful for their lives once Jesus told them no longer to fight, don't not to fight with the sword. Um, so that's that's the case with the disciples. Um, but with with Judas, we'll see how what happened to him here uh, in a moment. So so. Uh, the chief priests there the, at the temple, they, they are very callous. What is that to us? You, you see to it. Um, but they're complicit, of course, is because they, they, they gave him the, the blood money. And uh, the other thing is, th- their silence regarding Jesus' supposed guilt condemns them. They don't, they don't tell Judas that Jesus is not innocent and that Jesus is worthy of death. Jesus says, I've betrayed innocent blood. Why don't they tell him, you didn't betray innocent blood. He's a blasphemer and worthy of death. They don't tell him any such thing. Not at least not in the record, and I'm sure they don't, because they themselves don't believe that. Um, so uh, they don't say to Jesus, Judas that he's not innocent. Uh, then he, Judas, threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and 
hanged himself. Um, some have said that Judas did repent and therefore was redeemed, but this is extremely unlikely since Jesus said it would be better for that man had he never lived. Okay, so that seems to indicate that this, this remorse here is not repentance that leads to life. Um, no, and it uh, would be better for him that that man had never lived. The other thing that Jesus says when he prays in John chapter 17 is, I've lost none that you have given me except the son of perdition. Amen. You know, which, which says that is the, you know, that was the plan, okay? So those that are, that are trying to uh, get Jesus, uh, Judas redeemed, he's not. And I'm going to throw this comment out just for Nathaniel. He'll know what I'm talking about. There is actually, someone actually made in the hyper-covenantalism an argument that Judas was redeemed. But sometime we, we ought to talk about that. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I don't think that, that this remorse is that which leads, uh, leads to life. Uh, so, Jesus, uh, Judas dies before Jesus dies. If he went out, you know, well, that, yeah. Well, we don't know the exact timing. I, I better not overstate. Matthew just says he went out and hung himself. Whether he did that immediately, we're, uh, I can't. I can't say from the text of Scripture. All right. So uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> now, Matthew now shows the shows a strain the gnat, swallow the camel behavior typical of Pharisees, which are not mentioned in the trial accounts, by the way, but the chief priests and the elders suffered from the same malady. Nevertheless, they were correct about this money. So then he threw down the, he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and, and hanged himself. Uh, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said... It's not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. And now that is true. If you read the law, uh, they are following the law in this regard. And uh, so they're, you know, um, straining the gnat and swallowing the camel. (laughs) And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. And so they use that money for a burial ground for strangers, which they wouldn't bury in the city. And um, it probably does not refer to the property of one potter, but the area from which potters obtained clay to make their pottery. And that's probably what the potter's field is a reference to. They obtained clay 
uh, to make their pottery. And the chief priest purchased this particular place for a burial ground. Now, he also says, let's see, yeah, because, because uh, they are the price of blood, therefore, verse 8, therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Uh, that's an interesting reference. So this place is not only the potter's field, but from that point on, it gets the name of the field of blood to this day. So what, what, what does this day refer to? This is just a little teaching challenge to you guys. What is that? What's this day refer to? Want to get you to read your Bibles historically? What is that day? What is, what is what does this day refer to? Don't overthink this one. <laughs> I don't think. Does he mean that up to now they still refer to it as uh, the field of blood? Yeah, I'm just kind of. Yeah, you're going a little broader. I'm just simply saying, when Matthew says, therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day, I'm just, that's a, his, that's a, that's a chronological reference. What's that? What's that? Which day? Today, No. No. Mark. At the time that he wrote it. Thank you. <laughs> At the time that he wrote it. <laughs> As Matthew's writing his gospel, and he says, it's still called the field of blood unto this day, is the time when Matthew wrote it. <laughs> okay? The, the scriptures are common literature. You, you know, use common sense. They're, they're more than that. But so So we know around... 65 AD, when, or maybe a little earlier, maybe 62 or 63 AD is when, Ma when Matthew wrote his, wrote his uh, gospel. So that would be about 30 years after, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, that field was still known as the field of blood to this day. So it was common knowledge. We don't know much else about this place, actually, because it's still not clear where this actually is. But when, when Matthew wrote his gospel, it was common knowledge. And so I just couldn't help but seize on that to, again, challenge you to read your Bible uh, with a historical lens. <laughs> and it's a simple question. It's when he wrote it, okay? So, uh, it was called the field of blood. Now, what isn't really clear to me, I, I think it's called the field of blood because Judas, <laughs> I think, this is where Judas killed himself. And, uh, but, 
Maybe not. It's also maybe called the field of blood because it is purchased with the blood money. It's probably more the latter than what I suggested as the former, that this 30 pieces of silver was the price of blood, and that price of that blood was used to purchase this plot of land. Therefore, it's called the, the field of blood. Probably from the purchase price, it is called that. Um, that's, that's probably the case. Um, which, you know, there's a lot, that's really a piece of historical evidence, that this whole thing, it, it really is. Uh, so Matthew tells us this. Now, that was all the easy part, Okay. The challenging part is Matthew's fulfillment of prophecy in this case. But it is important to Matthew, isn't it, to say that things fulfill the Scripture. Those of you that have been with us through this study, you know, this is one of Matthew's signature <laughs> emphases, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And here Matthew does, does that again. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them to the potter's field, gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now, <clears throat> Besides Nathaniel, who can tell me the first challenge with this statement? Can any of you tell me the first challenge with this statement? Okay. Uh, this, uh, this that I just read you there. Uh, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying... And they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom uh, that statement. What, what's the first difficulty we're confronted with when, with that statement? All right. You guys don't know your Old Testaments well enough. Have you Yeah. Uh, land when the children of Israel went. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is a place where Jeremiah was supposed to buy land. Yes. Yeah, the, the difficulty here is this statement seems, the, the, the quote here seems to come out of Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 11. Most of this quote sounds like Zechariah chapter 11, and you, gotta, you, you, you can't easily find this quote in the book of Jeremiah. So that, that is the first challenge. Uh, is Matthew says it's spoken by Jeremiah, but what he quotes, let me, let me show you, let me show you Zechariah, what he quotes in, in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. 
uh, then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out my, my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price which they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. Yes. Now that's not Jeremiah. <laughs> We're quoting out of Zechariah. Okay. So that, that's one of the first challenges with Matthew's uh, uh, quote there. And of course, like I always say, the skeptics know their Bibles better than Christians do. And uh, Bart Ehrman knows this text. I'm certain that he knows this text and that he probably can quote it. Uh, and so, of course, people want to find Matthew in error. You know, that, that's what they want to do. They want to say Matthew made a mistake. And that's how the unbelievers will use a text like this. So, um, <clears throat> now, we're not going to spend a whole hour on this. And um, let me get to the right place here in, in my notes. Okay. Uh, Matthew sees the event. Matthew sees the event surrounding Judas's betrayal for the price of thirty pieces as a fulfillment of prophecy spoken by Jeremiah. The reference to Jeremiah presents a difficulty, as I've already said. Um, Matthew's quote, at least quite a bit of it, appears to come from Zechariah. I just read a Zechariah. There's a lot in Matthew's quote, but it's certainly not word for word, is it? It's not, when you, when you study it phrase by phrase. Um, quite a bit of it comes to there, but it, it appears also to be coming from somewhere else. Many solutions have been proposed. The, the most likely is that Ma Matthew has in view... Zechariah 11, and also Jeremiah 19, 1 through 13. And, and that he combines words from both of those passages. Because in Jeremiah uh, 19, there are four of five associations between Matthew's language and Jeremiah 19, 1 through 13. There's, there's blood, there's a potter, uh, there's, there's silver, there's pieces of silver. There's a number of things that somewhat connect in, in those 13 verses in Jeremiah. And I'm not going to discuss all of those here. Um, but one thing that is interesting is... Um, the Zechariah prophecy does not mention the purchasing of a field. I have it up here. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, 
and if not, refrain. So they, so they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. But there's no reference to a field in the Zechariah text. But you will find reference to a field in the Jeremiah text. So, uh, there's no, let me say this, so far, no, there's been no simple solution, uh, uh, you know, re regarding this particular tension uh, in our Bibles. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. So you're now aware of it, and on your own, you could read Matthew and Zechariah and Jeremiah. You can read all three of those together and look at the words and the phrases uh, that are there. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I understand, those of you who understand about the Septuagint, is that Matthew is not quoting from the LXX, Matthew is quoting from the Masoretic text, the Hebrew text, uh, in this discussion. And those things come to play also. So, um, all right, are we through with Judas? We all, that would be a good place to end. Um, oh, one other thing about this is... Is there, an, is there another account of Judas's death in our New Testaments? Is there an, another account of Judas's death in our New Testaments? I'm really beating up on you guys tonight. I've, I've accused you of not knowing your Old Testaments, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convict you of not knowing your New Testaments. Anybody? Jonathan? Where? Oh, you see, you, you know, you're, you're anticipating an ES. Where? No. Uh, you just looked at the notes. Well, you were at least honest, young lady. You, you were at least honest to say the notes say Acts 1. Yeah, it's one of those little-known passages and uh, the, other, the other challenge about Judas is this Acts 1 passage. And um, uh, I thought I had Acts 1 in here. I, I'll get there. It's Acts, go, go to Acts chapter 1, down here around verse 18. And um, Peter is speaking, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested him. Here's the scripture. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And that is the, the scripture that had to be fulfilled was let another his office take. Uh, where is that? Uh, oh, he says it down here after the reference to Judas right here. Okay, let, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll slow down here. This is Peter speaking. He, you know, he led those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry 
And Peter says it down here, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Those are Peter's words. Now verses 18 and 19 are the words of the author of the book of Acts. Okay? You see, he interrupts our translations. He interrupts Peter, and our translations show that with a pair in there. Who is the author of the book of Acts, by the way? Luke. <laughs> Luke's the author to the book of Acts. It's about Paul, uh, but Paul did not write the book of Acts. So Luke is the author of the book of Acts. So verses 18 and 19, we have Luke's account of Judas's end. Oh, and by the way, Matthew is the only gospel that has Judas's end in it. Okay? John and Mark and Matthew, and, and John, Mark, and Luke, in their Gospels, they don't have Judas's end. But Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, includes it here. Now this man purchased a field with the, now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Now that, okay, my mind's working now. That's why I said this expression, field of blood, may actually be referring to this potter's field also because of this reference in our New Testament. Now, I can avoid dealing with this for a bit longer until we get to the book of Acts. You know, we're going in order, so we're not going to deal with this until we get to the book of Acts. But since we're on the subject of Judas's end, I'm giving you a lot of information having to do with that. Uh, there's nothing else that I'm aware of in scriptures regarding Judas's end other than what I've, what I've given you here tonight. So, um, but yeah, the 30 pieces of silver in the Zechariah prophecy, that's amazing. That's one of those amazing prophecies that is fulfilled in, in Jesus's life. And uh, so, do you have questions or, or comments? They're, they're always very welcome. Oh, we got a, okay, let's try this. You're not, you don't have the mic on. Oh well, Rochelle, you can give her the other mic. We should have. We didn't test everything out before we started. Doreen asks, "Can you explain the difference between regret, Judas, and repentance, Peter?" <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> How do we do that uh, in a minute? Um, 
See, see, good teachers are supposed to be able to make things simple <laughs> and get to it. So, so uh, um, I would say this. Um, not only a, Peter had true repentance, and when we study the doctrine of repentance, uh, repentance is always promoted by you have a sense of mercy being offered. The scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And, and the only way we can really repent is when we believe there is an offer of mercy. And that's what enables us to approach God and repent. Because we hear an offer of mercy from him. And I would say that's the difference between Judas and Peter. Somewhere deep down, Peter knows that Yahweh is a God of mercy and that Jesus is a, a, a Lord of mercy. And somewhere he has that. And he's wept bitterly. He wept bitterly over what he had done. And he's full of sorrow and uh, that he denied the Lord. And, there, and yet he, somewhere that he has some sense of an offer of mercy. And that's part of real repentance. The goodness of God leads us, uh, leads us to repentance. So that's about the best I can do. Now, Anita, I didn't answer your question because I didn't get to that passage, so I'll answer it this way. Judas likely was disillusioned because Jesus did not become the political king ruler that so many of the Jews wanted the Messiah to be. And, and we see that often the Jews thought Jesus was going to lead the insurrection that would actually throw off Roman rule. And that's likely what Judas was expecting. And many of the Jews were expecting that. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to come and suffer first. And, and remember in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, what did the people try to do the next day? What did they do, do the next day? What? Make him king. The next day after he fed the 5,000, they wanted to get him and, and do just like an Old Testament king. The people all rallied around him and have him proclaim the king of Israel. They tried to do that the day after he fed the 5,000 because they're thinking he's going to be a Joshua or a David. A warrior, exactly. He is going to be the warrior that's going to succeed. Wipe the Romans up. That's correct. And so what's happening, the longer that Judas observes Jesus, Jesus never, never says anything like that. He, he never encourages that political violence. And so Judas is probably following him, thinking, I am going to sit you know, at his right hand. I am going to be a, a bigwig in this kingdom. 
and, and finally he's disillusioned. And, and he says, I'll just betray him and make 30 pieces of silver off of him. So that's pro- pro- the explanation is probably somewhere around there. Uh, and we know a lot of people forsook Jesus in John chapter 6. Come back sometime, brother. Okay. <laughs> um, a lot of people uh, forsook him after that John chapter 6 incident. Does that, does that help make sense? Yeah. Um, so anybody else with a question? Okay. Okay, let's pray. Our Lord, uh, we are thankful that you went through with everything that we're studying. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, we're thankful that your word uh, prophesied of this, that, that, that these things had to be fulfilled, that your plan was immutable to bring uh, redemption to us, Lord. Uh, and uh, we thank you that Peter repented and were, were fearful of, of, of seeing Judas's end Lord, um, and it grieves us to see you mocked and spit upon, and uh, it reminds us of our disrespect, Lord, of you at times uh, in our own lives uh, where we have uh, greatly disrespected you and uh, made fun of your gospel, which is about you, Lord. Thank you for being a God of mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.